Ryan Connolly, thank you for coming on our show. Yes, absolutely. How, uh, where are you located? I am just north of Dallas, Texas. Okay. Why, did, why aren't we doing this in person right now? Wait, are you in Texas as well? I live in Fort Worth. Oh, oh my you're, gosh. You're, <laughs> I could, literally could have just drove to your house this morning and we could be just doing this in person. Yeah, as it turns out. Yeah. <laughs> Jared Hogan. And I'm Christian Schultz. And this is good. So, hey, I have, I want to start off with one question, and I want to see if you even know what I'm talking about, but um, have you seen the movie Whiplash? Are you a oh, little yeah. bit pissed like that they, that they used your name in an unlikable character? And I didn't get any money. You didn't get anything. No credit, no nothing. Nothing. They didn't ask me. <laughs> Yeah, I was. That movie was my nightmare when it first came out because it was just my Twitter was just filled with. Did you know your name's in Whiplash? <laughs> and by like the three hundredth person, I was like, Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ryan, I think what we really wanted to talk about today is kind of like I feel like you kind of represent like the DIY generation of filmmakers. Um, I don't know if you would say that yourself, but I think that that's something that a lot of people might put on you. Um, so like, I wanted to talk about how you actually got to that place. Like, how do you figure out that that's kind of where you felt like your voice was heard in the filmmaking community? What I wanted to do, however, I could do the thing like we all do. Um, for me, DIY is anything out of the studio system, anything out of an investor. You know, if you're making this happen for yourself, it's DIY, whether you're using $10,000 gear or you just made this thing out of PVC piping. Um, because you're figuring out a way to make this happen for yourself. You're doing it yourself. So I've always been DIY in that respect, for sure. I mean, even now we're moving into bigger projects, but it's still completely outside of any kind of uh, studio system or uh, any kind of real financing. We're just figuring out a way to you know, create our own business model and make it happen. So even till now, we're, we're still doing it that way. So I would say, yeah, that's kind of um, the way I've always done things. But in the beginning, for sure, it was like the traditional sense of DIY, just didn't have money for anything. So it was making most of my gear, <clears throat> making it seem like we had things that we have, multiple cameras, an actual crew. I mean, I remember in uh, the film riot, uh, the stand-ups were so shot right by me in front of the camera at the same time and no one else in the room. I would <laughs> okay, literally figure out how to have a monitor turned around so I could check my framing. I would put like a light stand so I could pull editing. focus. And then I would go and I would hit record, go stand there. And then when we would shoot even the sketches, there was never anyone yeah. behind the camera but me. And if I was in front of the camera, oftentimes I had the camera on a tripod, somebody being like, "Hey, point it this way." And it, so it was it was a real like one man band situation for for a while because you know I was in Florida and in South Florida there weren't a lot of people to connect with that I could find. So it was just a matter of screw yeah. it, I'm just going to do it because I got to that frustration point of you know, beating your head against the wall, not being able to do things. And I'm like, I'm just going to make it happen however I can make it happen. Uh, so that's just always been my mindset of, I just want to do this thing. And however I can make that happen, fine, I'm going to make that happen. Because I, I still go by the philosophy of gear doesn't matter. Whether I'm, you know, rocking a, you know, Red Dragon, or if I have a, you know, A7S or a freaking iPhone, I don't care. You know, you make that work. Right. Well, let me ask you a question. Like, how do you, knowing that uh, with that kind of mindset, like in which situation does it actually matter to choose something 
over another, like something else. Do you know what I mean? Like a camera system over another camera system. Like what does it actually matter? If you have the capability to choose that, I think it makes all the difference in the world. I, I, the Alexa feels a lot different to me than any red product, feels so much different to me than any Canon product. So they all have their own sort of language to them, uh, especially when it comes to lenses. Like you guys know, like lenses make more difference than anything else. Right. Like I, old school anamorphic lenses give such a great old feeling cinematic tone that transport you to another place and it's just a genius move often to be able to push for that extra dollar to use that. A friend of mine just shot a film and he pushed hard for those lenses. It was so right. It made such a huge difference. But when you're on the lower end of that spectrum, you can't choose those things. So oftentimes for me, it was less about here's the story that I want to tell and now I'm going to tell it more of here's what I have to tell a story. What story can I get excited about and still actually pull off with this stuff? You know, I'm not going to do, uh, you know, this big epic with all these visual effects when I don't have anybody working for me and I don't know how to use visual effects. It's just going to suck horribly. Um, So, you know, if I'm working with an iPhone, I'm probably going to go with something that feels way more indie, something that feels, you know, more grainy, you know, go with a 16 millimeter look because I can totally make that work with an iPhone, grain it up a lot in post. Um, That would be sort of my thinking. So if I, I, if there's, you know, that budget, uh, openness to be able to choose. I think it I think it makes a lot of difference for sure when it comes to camera and lenses, things like that. But I think you can make it work no matter what you have. It's just about this is what I have. Now what can I do with that? So so let's go back to um you filming yourself starting like <laughs> the very beginning. Uh it seems like there's like a lot of drive um coming from you and a lot of passion. Where did that stem from like what did you see what movies were you exposed to where you're like i have to do that you know it wasn't at first it wasn't even a movie like uh, jurassic park is the first movie that made me realize like oh that's what i'm trying to do but oddly enough it was i don't know it was just i this i tell the story all the time but i know I'll, I'll never forget it's it just my dad brought home this video camera and immediately it was like my eyes lit up i was like what is this thing so I, they let me mess with it. I was like eight, I think, seven or eight. And before that, I really loved like performing for my family, telling my own little like stories, like stage plays almost. You know, I had like this <clears throat> chest of uh, like costumes and props that I got for Christmas one year. And I would just make up stories on the fly and crap. And they'd be nice enough to sit down and watch me make no sense, probably. But this camera came and and it was always a little frustrating for me because I could tell they were getting bored. And I'm like, just pay attention to my story. See what I'm seeing, you know, <clears throat> but they can only see me putting like a banana hat on. So <laughs> right. then this camera showed up and uh, I, I looked through the viewfinder of this camera. And then at, I don't know, just at eight years old, this this light bulb went off on. I could force people to see things how I see them. Like I can force them to look at exactly what I want them to look at when I want them to look at it. And that kind of opened my brain up to that. And I became obsessed with you know, messing with the camera and getting someone to see through my eyes. Although, you know, that's not exactly what I was thinking, but it was the idea of I can show them exactly, you know, the way I wanted to tell you this joke. This is exactly how I wanted to tell you this joke. Um, And my parents were cool enough. They were really strict at the camera, but I guess they saw something different with me and they were awesome enough to just let me use it. And they wouldn't let my older brothers and sisters use it as much, which is pretty (laughs) funny. Um, And then I saw Jurassic Park and then I found out who Spielberg was. And then it clicked on, oh, that a director did that to me because that was an experience I like I'd never had. My my parents were a little more strict on movies and Jurassic Park was actually an accident for me. I was like, 
11 and it's and it's kind of like a horror movie for kids yeah um so it if they knew what it was exactly they probably wouldn't have let me see it so at the time i'd never seen anything like it so i was you know i was scared out of my mind and i remember the theater jumping at one time this one guy goes to the to the concession stand i guess to get something and comes back and you know screams at his girlfriend and she literally launches out of the seat and it was just an experience that i'll never forget because i really <laughs> felt transported i felt terrified for these characters and it never happened before and just clicked that i could make someone feel that way and then ever since that i've just become obsessed with you know audience engagement or you know giving an audience that experience <clears throat> and uh, that's pretty much what i've been chasing ever since how do you feel that that led you to youtube like actually making this kind of like stuff for YouTube or like, cause you kind of do, you kind of do two different things. Um, like you have this very kind of like, uh, personality driven kind of like stuff, but you also are a filmmaker and a director and you work with crews and, and yeah. DPs and everything and, and get budgets for these things. So like, what is the separation for that? But like, how did you actually get to putting stuff on YouTube? Uh, it, YouTube was, I was working toward a short film, another short film, and it was like everything that came before that short film no one had ever seen or cared about. And uh, they weren't very good at all, so that's probably a good thing. But it's something that an instructor told me in, in school it just stuck with me. It's just like, you know, making these things and no one seeing them is like masturbating in a closet. It's like, you're the only one enjoying it, <laughs> you know? And it's like, it's vulgar and ridiculous, but at the same time, it was like, man, yeah. <laughs> It was like the worst way to put it, but it, it just really stuck with me. So I was making, you know, I was working on making this next short that I was pretty excited about, but it was like, you know, I'm going to put, put this out and it's going to be that same thing. It's like, nobody's going to watch it. It's, I'm going to love the process of making it, but I'm going to put it out. And, you know, not that I need these pats on the back or for people to say it's great or whatever people might hate it, but to try to give an audience that experience, that's the whole point. And I'm making this thing for no one to have an experience except for my family to be proud of me. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was like, that was frustrating. And I was trying to find a way to, you know, have a platform. But more than anything else, a couple of friends of mine who wanted to be filmmakers were really frustrated and they didn't know what to do and they didn't have money for film school. And it kind of, because I went to film school late. I was like 21, I think, when I went to film school. So it was a little, a little later. Um, and before that, it was that was very much my story. It's like I so desperately wanted to do this, but I had no idea how to do it. I didn't have money for film school, and then I kind of turned a corner, and everything uh, kind of landed for me, and, and a nice path started opening up. But you know, for a long time there, I had no idea how to do the thing I was going to do because yeah. back then there wasn't really the information that's out now. It was so hard to find. It was like magician yeah. secrets. Even if you go to the library and get books, it's like, what, dude? I don't know what this means. Yeah. It was. It was really, really difficult, and there was no one out there willing to be like, hey, it's not that mystical. Let me pull the curtain back. This is what it is, you know? So it was, there was no info. It was hard to even find out what an editor was. Like, I'm, I have, I'm looking at AB switchers, and I'm like, is this what I need? You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, it, it was really frustrating. So I, I remember what that was like, and obviously, if you look at back at the beginning of Film Right, it was very early in my career. I wasn't long outside of uh, uh, film school, and I was still yeah. very much learning. Um, we were super amateur. We're still, you know, learning. But, um, you know, I thought, you know, I got a little bit of knowledge. You know, it'd be cool to create a community where it's people kind of just helping each other. And maybe even they'll be giving us feedback, which will help us learn. Because yeah. I didn't have any mentors at the time. So I thought, you know, if we made a community, not only could we help them, but they could help us by pointing out when we suck. 
<clears throat> so yeah, that was yeah, kind of the yeah. idea behind that. And I started something called Making the Film. And I did that on my own for like four episodes, five episodes. And they did pretty well at YouTube at the time. Because YouTube at the time would feature stuff on the front page. They don't do it anymore. But at the time, this was super early on. And uh, we got featured like every time. We were getting like 60,000 views or something like that, which back then was like, whoa. <laughs> so Revision 3 right. got uh, wind of it, I think through a friend, and then uh, contacted us. And then that, that started that. And then it was just a great way to – I saw it as right off the bat. I saw the value of not only just helping people because I really wanted to create that community where we would, you know, it would be a bunch of people learning together. But also, like, I, we don't do it as much anymore because we're doing so much stuff behind the scenes. Um, but in the beginning, Film Riot was pretty much my only focus. We were doing, like, a sketch every week. They weren't short films. I call them sketches because there were these little moments that weren't really stories. But I was always trying something. Um, and it was constantly getting feedback and constantly trying something yeah. and getting feedback. And it was, you know, it was like learning yeah. to play the guitar on the acoustic, then moving to the electric, is what I always say. Because it was, like, no crew, no gear, and, you know literally like a day or two to write shoot and finish something and put it out every single week without fail yeah. and feedback so it was never up to par it was never like hey here's 100 i what i can do it's more like hey here's 30 percent of what i can do but i was always finding a way to try something like what if i did this with the camera yeah. this time you know and for the most part it was just funny for the rest of it but it was always one thing that i was kind of trying and then you know after a while it was sort of like hey man this is kind of it's kind of easier now. And it, so it was a great like <laughs> secondary film school for me, even on top of everything else. But what do you feel like you got from film school? Film school at the time was really the only path to take. Um, it's not the case now. Like uh, sometimes people are like, should I do was online Was this like film before school? like the 5D and everything? Oh, yeah. Way okay. Before. Yeah. I mean, that this was back when the, the only even online video was like uh, iFilm. You remember that? No, no. How old are you guys? <laughs> I'm tw- I'm 25. Ah, okay, gotcha. Okay, so this is back before YouTube. YouTube didn't exist at the time. Online video was like, you know, if you watched a trailer online, it was a QuickTime video that was like this big and it looked like hell. Um, and there was this site called iFilm that people could kind of post to, but not really, and it was really difficult. And, you know, even if you put something up there, nobody was really watching it. So this was way before that stuff and there was no tutorial online. Do you feel do you feel fortunate to have like cuz I I feel this way a little bit like I have uh even guys that I work with now um who have always grown up with like a digital format. Right. like they've always like everything they've ever done they've had clips that have been sorted for them. They don't have to like they didn't have to deal with tapes. They didn't have to like or even like you know when I was young you talk about like your parents having a camera. Like, totally. I shot everything on VHS and it was like, I would, I would stack uh, VCRs yes. and I would like go from like VCR. So I feel like, uh, I feel a little fortunate that I got to experience that as opposed to like, you know, even like guys who are in film school now that I know it's like, they're, they're all like working with C300s yeah. and stuff. And at the time it was like, when I was in film school, it was like, if I got to like touch or be in the same room as like an HBX, <laughs> it was like, <laughs> yeah. In film like school, we were mostly shooting film. So it wasn't that immediacy of uh, anything digital. Yeah. And even anything digital at the time was like to be scoffed at. I was like, God, that looks horrible. It was just not, just not good. I, I mean, I think, yeah. you know, the Viper camera was finally being talked about. I don't even know if it was out yet. Yeah. Um, and that was even not very good. Um, yeah. I remember that. 
So yeah, I mean, when when I, I had the same experience as you, as the VHS, the double the double uh, VCRs, and then you you pipe like yeah. a Walkman into one of them, and you start the music, and boom, <laughs> exactly. you got your music, man. Yep. But you know, the one thing that was great about that for me is like what I would do is I would I would listen to the soundtrack that I knew I wanted to put to the thing, and I would sit there listening to it for hours, and I would play this movie in my head over and over and over again while I listened to the soundtrack. Then I had like this pacing lock, like, okay, this is how I'm going to do it. And then I would take it with my friends and I would, yeah. you know, you edit in camera. You record, okay, now go over here. And you record, now say it. Okay, now you yeah. record, now you say it. And that's your editing. You don't you don't re-edit, really, you know, at best, because the VCR is so hard to do. Yeah, at right. best, you're doing like a little cut. Mostly you're just doing it for music. Mm. And um, after a while, the music right. actually started lining up. So I think one thing that that taught me like uh, accidentally was pacing like the music was you know listening to the beats of the music and coming up with this musicality to how i would actually let a story flow which it was really horrible still but it was teaching me that concept without me knowing it of you know a pace to this this story so i think that's one thing that's missing now is that forced restraint that you know what we had did for mm. us which you know it's that they say it's a classical style but it's just good storytelling where you you have a lot of restraint you don't have to show the shark sort of a thing are you like is there any part ryan for you where you're like you know you've got like 13 14 year olds who are like are masters of premiere and after effects and and they're shooting on like what you dreamt of shooting on or is there is there a part of you that feels kind of like Jeal- not maybe jealous is the wrong word, but envious that like wishing that you had that experience at that age, or do you feel like what you just described is just as or more valuable than, than I that? think more valuable because I think we had a forced discipline. I think they now have to discipline themselves, and that's the danger. I think with the immediacy of everything now and how easy things are now, it, it's kind of dangerous because it, it. I think it adds a placency or a laziness or, I mean, think about how before you had your finished project, think about how much thought you put into it because you had edited this thing at camera. Now think about what they do. Grab the camera, yeah. shoot some nonsense and try to cut it together, make sense of it later. That's not good right. filmmaking. Good filmmaking is you make the film before you make the film. And then you find magic along the way as well, you know, to me. So that you get a lot of this just sloppy nonsense. Like, you know, a lot of the things that I'm saying to people is pacing, you know, make a plan. Pacing, make a plan. Pacing, make a plan. It's like, think this through more. Think this through more. What were you, what was your goal? What were you going after? What experience were you trying to give your audience? It just kind of seems like you were pointing a camera and saying action. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that, you know, especially shooting on film. You know, when you're shooting on film, you had no idea what it was looking like. It was all, you know, guesswork. You know, you're doing math in your head um, and you just have to trust the story you're telling and and your DP. Um, So it's like, you know, I think now it's more dangerous than anything else. And I I think a lot of it's kind of in the same vein, but not exactly what you're asking. But a lot of people are always like, are you worried about giving your secrets out too much? Or are you worried about, you know, the technology being where it is, where it's like anybody can do this. And it's like, well, no, it's just because you have an iPhone doesn't mean you're a photographer. It's the same thing. It's like, you know, I could tell you to I'm blue in the face exactly how I make something. And you're not going to make it like me because you're not me. You don't have my perspective on life. I think that's what a storyteller is. They're the collection of, you know, the experiences they've had throughout their life and how they see the world. And I think each of us are different. If you're just truly, honestly trying to tell a story, I think that's where your voice comes through is when you're not trying to be someone else, your influences are going to shine through. I think my influences are definitely apparent in my stuff, you know, but I would hope that it's, you know, 
yeah. me in some kind of way because I'm not trying to be anybody else. I'm just trying to make the thing I want to make. And when I'm making it, I'm letting it be what it wants to be. I'm telling the story the way that I feel like the story is telling me to tell it. You know what I mean? If that it makes sense in a really pretentious way. Um, because it's even like comedy. It's like, you know, this joke to me feels like it needs to be told this way, which it doesn't. It could be told like 10 different ways. But for me to tell it, it needs specifically to be this way. So I'm never worried about, you know, technology making it too easy or, you know, giving away secrets and now people being exactly yeah. me. It's like you it's impossible for you to be me. You don't have my thumbprint. You never will. Uh, the only thing that um, is kind of worrisome about it is the noise in the marketplace that, you know, has come there. There, there needs to be like yeah. better curating. Yeah. On that note, like I... Ryan, uh, we all know Ryan Booth, but he told me a story one time where you guys were hanging out. I think it was at Masters in Motion in Austin yeah. or something like that. And you went to some coffee shop. You guys are just meeting, hanging out. And Ryan's like a pretty well-known DP. Yeah, he's amazing. You know, like at least online. And he's he's great and he's super talented. Um, but he said like in just the small time that you guys were at the coffee shop, you had like four or five kids come up to you and say like, um, are you Ryan Connolly? And like, didn't even pay yeah. attention to Ryan Booth at all. <laughs> and he was just kind of <laughs> like, I, I was super put in my place. And like, uh, because it's, it is kind of, it's weird with this, this kind of world that we kind of have to live in now as like creative people where it's like very much a, sho- a social game, but at the same time. Yeah, it's totally a brand thing. Right. So like. I don't know. Is that a good thing to you, Ryan? Is that a good thing? Um, or is it kind of like, I think we kind of touched on this a little bit, but like you you have this platform to like give back to, you know, almost like giving back to your younger self in a way, you know, but like at the same time you're, um, you know, it's kind of a, a distraction in some way. You know, I don't really see it as a distraction. I see it as like motivation and encouragement to like keep pushing forward. And the thing is, I think something like this, you know, the whole recognition thing and uh, because people are very quick to like think you're a god. And, you know, if you're not objective, that I think could be really, really damaging. Um, That that's where I think it's dangerous is like you get people who get excited because you're known, you're putting this thing out and it connects with them. And some people I don't think recognize the fact that they're not attaching themselves to your talent. They're attaching themselves to this connection that they're forming with you, be it through your personality or through the voice that you have through your filmmaking. So I recognize that it's no indication on my talent. Like I'm sitting there with freaking Ryan Booth. Ryan Booth is one of the most talented dudes I know. He's like amazing, amazing artist. Um, I don't think I hold a candle to him at what I do, yet I'm the one being recognized. So I don't think it's an indication of talent. I'm not trying to like bash myself and say I'm not talented or anything like that. But I recognize that that's not what it is. It's this community that we've created and it's almost this, uh, you know, this reciprocal, what's what's the word? Like uh, uh, reciprocity or reciprocity. Thank you. Reciprocity. Um, It's it's that like, it's (laughs) that notion of, um, you know, I'm giving you something and they feel like they owe you something, although they don't owe me anything. You know, we talk about it on the show all the time. Like it it really is a symbiotic relationship, whereas they're giving me as much as I'm giving them. But I think it's a lot of that and it's a lot of, you know, there's like an appreciation there and that that connection there. Um, and, And it's just, you know, it's 
a community that was actually built, which you know I'm humbled by and excited by and uh, encouraged by and makes me want to keep pushing forward and keep doing bigger and better to like, you know, make them yeah. proud and bring them along the way. And, you know, I feel a lot of the times I feel like yeah. I'm yeah. working really hard to get where I want to be, not only just because, man, this is what I, I have to do. I don't want to do it. I have to do it. There's no other choice but to keep fighting. Even if I never make a movie, I'll, you know, I'll die trying, you know, I'll never stop trying to, you know, right. get where I'm going to go. There's just no option for me. Um, uh, but yeah. it's like, you know, if I can get there, I can continue to just reach down the ladder to these people, <clears throat> you know, the, the community that we built to like, you know, bring in interns and, you know, give younger filmmakers a chance to be seen. And <clears throat> I've always seen film ride as almost like a training ground, hopefully eventually to where we bring in these young filmmakers and they, they work and help with film right for a while, making sketches, having a platform, getting seen. Then we move them into short films and then, you know, and then send them on their way, this amazing filmmaker that they were always meant to be, uh, which we didn't make. We just let them, you know, we gave them a space to cultivate their own talent. That's already there. Uh, so for me, it's just a, a great thing, but I can see how it can be a distraction and it can be a dangerous thing if you're not grounded, which I, I keep no credit for that. We're in Texas, we're outside of LA, so we're outside of the system. And I have a family that's very much like, shut up. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so they, they never, yeah, they never let me even kind of get close to a little bit of an ego. And whatever reason, I've been lucky to, uh, I'm extremely objective and uh, self-deprecating sometimes to a default. So even if something's good and people are like, man, this is great. And I got managers calling to be like, hey, we might want to work with you. I'm like, they're all lying. <laughs> they hated it. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So it's like that helps yeah. keep me in check too. that that nagging side of my brain that I'm fighting. So yeah. as long as like you have that in check and you're not letting it give you an ego and you're not thinking it's something that it isn't at all, you're not J.J. Abrams, I think it can be a, a really good thing. Because, I mean, in nowadays, you really need an audience anyway for, for a lot of us. It's like audience is power. Yeah. The only reason I am where I am is because of my audience. Uh, some of the circumstances I've been able to get into and people I've been able to be around. And I'm like, how in the hell am I standing here? Like, it's just comical. It's like the guy to my left just got done working with Spielberg. And this jackass is the dude who makes film right on YouTube. And I'm standing here with him. It's just, it's stupid. It's stupid. There's no reason for me to be there other than my audience gave me power. And thanks to them, I'm able to do stuff that I've only ever dreamt about. So, you know, as long as I keep that mindset where I recognize what it is and, you know, other people, if they have that audience and they're recognizing what it is, um, I think it could be a really beneficial thing. So, you know, a lot of um, young filmmakers are sending you their work. And, um, I guess I'd be curious and I'm sure there are a lot of other people that would be curious to know, like if you could articulate, like, um, like when you're watching something, you're like, that kid has something, he has talent potential. How, how do you like, what are you seeing? What do you recognize? How would you articulate like what you, uh, identify as talent or potential? I think there's like these kids who don't realize that they have a way of actually getting you to see what was in their head. You know what I mean? It's like that thing that I was uh, saying where they understand that the lens is an eye that you can force on the audience. Right. And whether they yeah. subconsciously or consciously know that they're doing that, I think usually it's something that they don't actually know they're doing. It's an instinct. It's like, you know, I didn't know I was doing it till later on. And I watched myself when I was like 14 and I was like, hey, you know, that that's actually, you know, keeping to the 180 and that's actually the correct way, the way to do that. Mm -hmm. And that actually showed me what, you know, what I was intending. It was terrible, but there was like, a, a, you know, 
a glimmer of hope there in, in that. And, you know, I see that often where it's like, oh, okay, you, you need to keep going. You know, you get the stuff where it's like, yeah, yeah, this is a hobby for you, clearly. You know, you get a lot of that. But, yeah. you know, you'd never discourage because what do I know? This guy could be the next Spielberg. So, it's you know, it's always just critiquing and giving the best help that I can. But then there's those kids where it's like, you have to keep going. Like, just keep doing this. Make more stuff. Just keep making stuff. And they're always like, well, tell me what to do better next time. And I'm like, well, you know, pacing this and that, but just do another one. Like, nothing I can say to you is going to be as educational as you just making another one and watching it with people and putting it on the internet and then making another one and then watching it. But what do you think that separation is, actually? Like, what is it about, like, what actually separates, I don't know, if you have a personal experience of, you know, somebody, something that you saw from a kid or something like that, but, like, what is it? that actually feels like right about them. I think it's that experience, you know, when you feel like you had an experience, if it holds your attention at all. And, you know, it's that moment where you're like, yes, that's where you should have put the camera. Or, you know, why in the world would you put the camera there? Or you're clearly just pointing the camera. You gave no thought to the composition. You gave no thought to, you know, your focal length. You gave no thought to, you're literally holding it at shoulder height as you would any time when you're standing there. Um, and, yeah. and it just holds the entire time. It's it, yeah. And then yeah. you have these kids where there's clearly this instinctual drive to put the camera a certain place to get you to see the world how they want you to see the world. Whether I agree with how they're doing it or not or like the style they're doing or not, you can look through that and see that they're, you know, they're, they're giving you their vision, that there's a vision there. Right. And, you know, there's a difference between, like we were talking about kids who just point the camera at things and then kids who have a vision. And I think the ones with the vision is, you know, I think those are the ones that kind of stand out where like where there's clearly something extra. I think it's really hard to articulate um, what that is. Uh, but I think, you know, we see it. I think, you know, the same I think the same thing exists in feature films like um, my buddy Dan Trachtenberg's new film, 10 Cloverfield Lane. You, you look at that. And it feels different in its direction and how right. he laid out the movie. Dude, I saw that yesterday. You, oh, did you? It was you think? literally amazing. I tweeted about Amazing. it. Amazing. <clears throat> I was like, I was like, what, dude? <laughs> I was, it was, it, I was, I was, it was pretty better shocked. than the original Cloverfield. I agree. Obviously and different, it, but it was like totally. a better film than the original. And it was like, I can't remember the last time I saw a film where I honestly didn't know what was coming next. And I stopped trying right. to guess and I just let the filmmaker take me on this journey. And then also, I mean, no spoilers, I'll, I'll, obviously, but also this, I can't remember the last time I gasped in a movie theater before. Right. And there's one moment yeah. where I was just like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> and that hasn't happened in, I don't even know when. Um, so yeah. I was, I was, I knew it was going to be good, but man, I was blown away by it. But there's a feeling to that movie that isn't in like other feature films. I'm not going to name feature films that bash anything, but I think you can kind of grasp what I'm talking about. Okay, I'm I'm curious, just like on set, uh, pet peeve. What's your biggest Laziness. pet peeve on set? I can't. Yeah, man. Um, Any good examples? I mean, I'm not gonna call anybody out. Yeah, but sure. <laughs> I have been on sets where the idea of this is my job and this is only my, the only job I have, and I don't do that because that's not my job, makes me want to drown myself. I mean, I, I'm I'm the director, right? And I'm on this project where I'm the director where I'm climbing four flights of stairs up and down, carrying down garbage because, yeah, 
We're in this together. Exactly. Whether you're catering right. or the friggin' director, what if we're making a movie together. There is no small job. You know, everybody needs to be there. If you're putting out coffee for everyone, that's just as important because I need my friggin' coffee. You know what I mean? Like, I'm so appreciative of every single person. If you're the person walking around yeah. with a trash bag, you're a PA, not getting paid, picking up garbage, I appreciate you just as much as I do my DP because that's needed just as much. We need every one of those jobs. So anyone to have the uh, attitude to where, you know, they don't, this isn't my job or, you know, treating someone bad. I've seen that and that infuriates me. Like I've had talks with people where I take them aside just because it's like, I don't freaking care if you're a producer, if you're the DP, if you're, you know, the audio mixer, whatever it is. It's like, there's no like lower person than you just because they're giving you food. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then it's like, um, you know, one, and, and one big motivation for me, like one, something that was really inspiring for me to see and and was an awesome like refueling and re-energizing of that notion was we just shot this project in Vancouver. <clears throat> it's like these five action scenes, we're doing it with DJI. They're not stories, they're just action scenes, right? It's just people punching each other in five different scenes. But it was a lot of fun and it was like um, a way to go out and sort of practice something I haven't done before, working with a big stunt crew that I've never worked with before and uh, a crew that I wanna work with more. So it was like a first go at it. So it was a lot of fun. But all this stunt team was insane. Um, it, uh, you know, they worked on Deadpool and World of Warcraft and you know, uh, Suicide Squad and I think X Men and Plant. Like wow. our first yeah. meeting with my stunt coordinator is like, yeah, I just got back from Planet of the Apes and this was going on, and I'm like, dear God. So these guys are like out of mind good, and they work on the biggest stuff I've ever heard of, <laughs> and it's like, why are you here? You know what I mean? And and this one guy shows up one day and he's like, hey, Rye, I'm here to, you know, I'm your everything man, whatever you need. You need me to go grab something and carry it to you. You got it. Like whatever you need, you let me know. You need coffee, I'll get it for you. And I'm thinking, wow, what a nice guy. He clearly has not done stuff like this before and he's just really excited to be on production. Turns out he's like the main bad guy's henchman in Deadpool at the beginning. You know, the one that gets like Ryan Reynolds' butt in his face. That's the guy. And he's been on every movie I've ever heard from. He just came back from an audition for the new Fifty Shades of Grey movie. But here he is willing to get me coffee, you know? And uh, yep. I, that was just, and they were all like that. Every one of them uh, was just willing to help. So humble. And you would never know the type of stuff that they've done. And I've met a lot of people like that, like DPs and stuff even. And that's always inspiring to me where it's like, yeah, man, like that's yeah. that's the way to be. And it's funny that more often than not, the people who are the opposite and are the douchebags are the people that are not at all legit or talented. Like those are the ones that are usually the biggest assholes, yeah. oddly, which doesn't make any sense. You know, it, that's definitely my biggest pet peeve. But also the opposite is definitely what I'm always trying to strive to be in like sort of, you know, steer my cast and crew that way is just, you know, because it should be a big family of people taking care of each other, making a thing together. We're all creative. We all have input on this thing because we're making this thing together. I mean, I can't make a movie on my own. It's it's not going to happen. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, we had a big production last week and uh, there's just something about generating like a really like healthy, fun, like culture on set that I think is maybe like more important than anything like creating like a working environment where people can like try things and uh feel like it's a like a safe oh man 100 that's like the kind of stuff i want to work on you know what i mean so i want to create that like as a director on on my set how how important is culture 
and kind of like the vibe on set uh, to you? It's it's like one of the most important, if not the most important thing. Because if you don't have that, you know, that comfort level with everyone, you can't be creative. You can't, you know. And not that there can't be tension and, and conflict. Oh, no, that's like, going to happen. Right. You know what I mean? Like with your family who you love, you're going to have fights with them. There's different personalities. It's going to happen. You know, every, every set I've ever been on, there's been a tense moment. There's been a, well, he just had a little bit of a temper tantrum. You know what I mean? It's always happened. Right. But that doesn't yeah, mean they're yeah. a douchebag. It's just, you know, you've been working 14 hours. You're exhausted. You're frustrated. You want this to look a certain way. You're running out of time. You're mad at yourself. Right. And, you know, you react. People have moments where they just react poorly, but that's not indicative of how they are entirely. That's just a weak moment. You know, if that's how they are, then there's a problem. If that's a weak moment, yeah, I have those. We all have those. Um, right. So it's like, I try never to have those. I try to have those, you know, behind closed doors. And if I feel myself getting there, I walk away because I feel like, you know, when I'm directing, you know, um, you know, as the head goes, so does the body. And uh, right. I kind of, you know, try to always seem like I'm never stressed. I'm always excited, <laughs> which I'm sure I fail at miserably constantly when it's getting really stressful. But I, I try my best at least uh, to do that. But yeah, man, that culture of, you know, being, if feeling safe and comfortable to even have those moments of weakness um, is yeah, so important exactly. because you need to be able to be creative. You need to be able to say dumb ideas and, and you know, somebody would be like, no, right. And then you'd be like, okay, yeah, you're probably right. But when the opposite atmosphere is created, you have pride, you know, popping up everywhere. And, you know, the second somebody says a dumb idea and I'm like, mm, maybe not that. Now they get their ego hurt instead of having that really right. comfortable relationship where you're like, well, maybe not that, but how about this? And, you know, they're like, okay, yeah, you're probably right. You know, and, and we follow each other right. on this idea path till we get to, yeah, that's the way to do it. And, uh, you know, I think yeah, that's, that's just so important. I mean, it... it it, it always reminds me of earlier in my career, I was asked to come to, it was in Florida. It was this like production, nobody production company. They did like one thing that was like kind of cool, I guess. And the, everything else was like infomercials. And they were like, hey, we want you to come in. Uh, we like your stuff. So they courted me and they brought me there. I didn't know who they were from Adam. I'd never heard of them in my life. And they, and they come, they bring me in. They want me to pitch on a few things. Um, they were doing something for, um, uh, Jimmy, not Fallon, the other Jimmy Kimmel, Kimmel, Jimmy Kimmel. They were doing something for Jimmy Kimmel and they wanted me to pitch on that. And I'm like, okay. So I come in and I, I pitch on it to pitch on it. And I, and I get in there and the one guy who wants me there is super nice. And he's like, yeah, uh, my partner's coming in, blah, blah. And he comes in with such an attitude, like such a douche, like freaking Spielberg <laughs> just walked his coffee. That's like legit. a latte in his and, hand. And it was almost like his nose actually went up as he walked in. He doesn't even look at me. Walks in, sits down, swear to God, does not look at me. <laughs> Looks at the guy and just goes, so who's this guy? And I'm like, immediately, I went from excited to give them this pitch to feeling like <laughs> two feet tall and just like a total jackass that right. doesn't deserve there. And, and even in the moment, it was like, man, you just killed all creativity. I don't know how to, what to do now. So then the guy has the brilliant idea of showing him some of my work from Film Riot. Which, you know, I've seen Film Riot. I don't know if you guys have, but have, but my sense of humor, is, it's pretty freaking stupid. Like, I, I oftentimes, times have, like, kind of a farting is funny sentence. Oh my God. You know, especially, especially on the earlier days which when I was is. younger. Which it totally is. I'm sorry, but it is. It's nature's joke. Um, uh, but, you know, in the earlier days, we had all sorts of jokes like that where I had, like... Um, 
the Bruno uh, Vieira used to work with me and my brother Josh and I had the joke of, you know, I'm a terrible boss. So I'm making them wash my car and like yeah. cut off jean shorts and like uh, <laughs> belly shirts. And I'm like spraying them with a hose, which I thought was hilarious. He did not <laughs> think it was funny. So so this so the guy likes my stuff. Goes through, goes through like film rights sketch after film rights sketch. I threw like five of them. And the other dude just stares there staring blankly. Give me a pity laugh. Nothing. It ends. And he goes, okay, uh, so what you bring in? That's it. Doesn't say anything about it. And I'm like <laughs> now like so nervous that I'm probably like shaking. And I, I try to give my pitch. <laughs> But uh, um, it's like all over the place because I feel just like such an idiot because of how this guy, you know, treated me. Just the attitude just made me so nervous. It was early in my career. And so I even get done with the pitch and the other guy goes, well, he's nervous right now, but you get the idea. Thanks, bud. Makes Gosh. it way better. Dude, that's, and, that's hard. and it's just like I had no idea. So they're like, well, what about this idea or that idea? And usually I prefer on being, you know, pretty quick with ideas. That's like. You know, that's what I do. Like, the, that's how I make my money. And they're right. like, well, what about an idea for this? And I'm just like, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, um, uh, because they squashed all, like, possibility of any form of creativity by the uh, attitude they brought to that room and how they made me feel. And that just, like, was a real educational moment for me on, like, what exactly to never, ever, ever do. Like, I, I don't consider myself that much of an asshole, so I don't think I'd ever do exactly that. Yeah. But any form of that, like, it was such a concentrated, like, you know, uh, example of you have to create that, that, you know, comfortability in the room with that person to where they feel like you're there to help them be their best. Like even when you're working, you're working with an actor, which I'm right. sure both of you know, you're even doing casting. Like casting is such a hard thing to, you bring someone in, they're really nervous. It's this cold room. They don't know you. And they're supposed to pour their heart out for these one page that they don't fully understand. And, you know, it's in your best interest to right. get them, them to be the absolute best they've ever been in their lives right now, because that's going to show you whether or not they're going to bring this character to life and make you look good ultimately. So that's a big thing for me. Like you come in, hey, here's a water. Let's talk about you. What's your life like? Laugh at their jokes when they're not good, you know, and get them to a point um, to where they feel comfortable enough to be like, yeah, okay, okay, let's try this. And it's like you kind of so sort of see the knot loosening. And then once you see it loose fully, you're like, all right, you know what? Let's read the page. And that's kind of been my motto across the board, you know, get people to the point to where they can be the best versions of their creative selves. That was a really long winded answer to your question. I'm sorry. No, dude, that was amazing. Um, man, I really love what, what you've created and um, your whole philosophy on bringing people in and training people up. I think it's amazing. What's uh, what's next for you, Ryan? Uh, well, we're finishing up this project right now, and the rest of the year we're kind of focusing on growth and you know doing getting film right back to where it's been because there's been a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that I've been trying to build and do for my career. And so I feel like film right's been taking sort of a backseat for a long time, and I think our, our audience has definitely felt that. So we're going to try to get that on par. We're moving into a studio. We're going to try to bring in some extra people, sort of bring things up. Uh, another notch and, you know, get better information out there. Um, do some more like tutorial stuff. Like we did something with Seth, uh, writing one one I want to do more of those just pretty much my, my hope is to create this thing where it's just a hub of, you know, new and indie filmmakers where they can go to learn, get assets that they can't get elsewhere. Cause you know, even sound effects, a sound effects pack like this will cost you a thousand dollars. Get it here for a, you know, 100, you know, 
Um, so stuff like that. So we're working towards, you know, building that up more. Um, I'm developing a few things in the background, but that's nothing that nothing that'll be seen this year. That'll be development for a while. And then uh, we'll probably try to do one more short this year after this project, but uh, probably not even a full short film, probably something that we're calling short shorts. Like we did this portal thing, even UFO. Yeah, we considered pretty much a short short where it's not like this full short film. It's sort of it's almost like a glorified sketch. Uh, so we'll probably do one more of those, but really just focusing on, you know, sort of growth, you know, all areas of what we're trying to do. That's great. That's great. Okay. One uh, parting word of wisdom for an up and coming filmmaker. What would you say? It's what everybody says, but it's so, so true. It's like that answer that it's like, uh, really, that's your answer. But it's really just do as much as you possibly can, as often as you possibly can. Uh, respect how hard it is to tell a story. Really think, like stop, be quiet and think about what story you want to tell, why you want to tell it, what experience it's going to give to the audience, what story is, like really break down. What is that? Like what is story? Not in a pretentious way. Like it's not far off from, uh, you know, telling, you know, a kid once upon a time or telling your friend, oh, dude, today I was at X. And and if if they're captivated, you're telling them a story. So really breaking down the concept of what that is in a non-pretentious way. and uh, thinking a lot about pacing, obviously, but, you know, just doing it as much as possible with like actual thought put into it and respect put into it and not just trying to churn out, you know, nonce, but really trying to give an audience an experience. Don't do it for you, do it for them. And I think that's when you really, really learn. Ryan, how was, um, <laughs> how was this interview for you? <laughs> it's pretty yes! good. Yes. <laughs> Pretty good. No, this is legit one of the more uh fun you guys ask good questions. Cool. Usually it's oh, like thanks, man. So uh, you know, how'd you start film right? And that's pretty much it. And that's like the whole thing, the whole thing, which everybody asks that and that's fine. But it's basically like questions like that the entire time, which is fine too. I mean, that's always fun too, but it's nice to get into kind of like the ideology behind what we do yeah. a little bit. Good, man. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Well, dude, thanks thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully we'll have you back on in, a, in the new, near future when you're... Uh, absolutely. When, whenever you guys want, just let me know. In the new in future. In the new future. <laughs> <laughs> All, right, All right. Thanks, Ryan. Man. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. This episode was mixed by Christian Stropko, or as we like to refer to him, Christian number two. Our show is edited by Olivia Londo. As always, our music today was created by Cubby. That's Cubby with two Bs. You can check out more of his stuff on CubbySounds.com. Our show is produced by Will Meyer, and our good podcast logo was designed by Eric Hurchin. Also, you can find all of our show notes and other fun stuff at GoodThePodcast.com. <laughs>